It's a delight to be here. How many of you believe God's word in Psalm 37 that says our steps are ordered of the Lord? That literally God's word saying it's down to even details of our life. And you know, some people struggle with that and say, how could God, the God of the universe, care about the details of my life? You know, Jesus said to this specifically, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And it's a lot easier with Pastor Harris than it is with me for God. But, you know, hey, listen, you asked for it. <laughs> Don't throw me a softball. I'm going to swing at it. But anyway, how many of you believe literally what the Word of God says? Our hairs are ordered to the are, are numbered and our steps are ordered to the Lord. And people say, well, how could that be when you... And King David said this, when I consider the stars, the heavens, the work of your... I say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And you know, there are two reasons why people have a hard time believing that God's involved in the details of our life. One is they have an inadequate understanding of God. As they think, they're thinking of God in man's image rather than the other way around. You see, they say, you know, that, that man, how can he be involved in the details? You know, I have a friend who uh, was... Uh, I guess he was appointed, not elected to. He was elected as a senator, United States senator. Then he was appointed as attorney general. And, you know, when, when he became attorney general, my wife said, you know, because he had been in our Sunday school class and was a good friend, she said, I'm going to write him and tell him that we're praying for him. I said, Ruth, do you know that he has 125,000 employees now? I said, he doesn't have time to answer mail. She said, well, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And she did. And you know what? A week later, we got a, a note from Washington, D.C. With, with a handwritten note from the Attorney General. Thank you, Ruth and Randy, for your prayers. Now, I'll tell you why that's significant. You know that he had no more hours in his day after he was Attorney General than when he was back in Springfield, Missouri. Is that right? But you see, here's the thing about God. Not only is there nothing too big for God, there's nothing too small for God. Because God is infinite, he can devote himself to the infinitesimal, to the tiniest details of our life. Uh, let me give you an example about our steps order to the Lord. A while back, I flew to London, and I was going to be preaching in this church. I had preached there a year before. It was a brand-new church. It had been planted by a church in Singapore. It was called Calvary Charismatic Center. And there were about 80 people in that service the year before. Eleven people responded to receive Christ as their Savior. And then... I was going to be back there in a year, and uh, I, it was before we had smartphones. All I had was a little notebook. My secretary had typed the pastor's telephone number so I could contact him on Saturday to connect. I didn't know the address of the church. I called his number. It rang and rang and rang, and then finally a man answered, and it wasn't the pastor. And I said, is Pastor Gabriel Yee there? He said, no, you have the wrong number. Hung up. I thought, well, I must have misdialed. I dialed again. It was the same guy. I said, is this a new number that you just got? He said, I've had it for 10 years. Don't bother me again. Hung up. Well, I found out later what happened. But anyway, I looked in the yellow pages. I, the church was too new to be listed in the phone book. I gave up. I couldn't get to this church where I was supposed to preach. Well, we decided to go to this church I'd heard about in Kensington, called Kensington Temple. It's a large Pentecostal church, uh, and about 1,500 in that, just in the one service that morning. I was seated about back partway down near the front on this side, and there was no center aisle in that. It was a, it was a larger auditorium than this, but 
there was no center aisle, only the two side aisles. At the end of the service, the worship leader had us all stand and were singing in a final worship chorus. And then I turned here and I started walking out to this aisle to go out. And remember, there are 1,500 people there. I happened to glance back, and right there in the back doorway, there was one man standing, and his our eyes met. And he, when he saw me, he went, and I went, and he went. So I walked back, and I said, who are you? He said, my name is Frank. I said, where are you from, Frank? I'm from Poland. I said, I've never been to Poland. How do you know me? He said, last year, you preach in Star Street. God really blessed my life. I said, Star Street, that's the address of where the church is. I'm supposed to be preaching there in half an hour. I said, do you know where it is? I'm on my way there right now. We went down, got on the subway. Now, let me tell you how Frank found me. He wasn't looking for me. He was on his way to Calvary Charismatic Center, was early to church, had not had breakfast, got hungry while he was on the subway, got off at the next subway stop, to try to find something to eat. It was at Kensington. Found a little cafe, had his breakfast. He was paying his bill and heard singing across the street. He had never been to Kensington Temple in his life. He stepped in the back door just as we were dismissed. Out of 1,500 people, spotted me, remembered me, having only heard me preach one time one year before. Now you tell me that's just good luck. And on the subway, I'm on my way there, and I'm thinking, Lord, this is not a coincidence. Hello? There's something you, do you know, you said it this morning in your declaration. Lord, I believe. There's something special for you. I said, God, there's someone there. And I remembered from the year before, 11 people had come to receive Christ. I said, Lord, there are people the one that need to come to you today. And you know what? While I was praying, in my mind, I saw that sanctuary it was a basement room actually and i only saw one person stand and i said lord is it just one person and the holy spirit said yes well i got there the pastor gabriel he was happy to see me he was already trying to put a sermon together because he didn't think i was going to show up he was so happy to see me i got up and preached in the middle of my message i started to talk about something i had never talked about before in a sermon i've never talked about since I had been to Blenheim Palace a few days before. That's where Winston Churchill was born. And I began to talk about the beautiful architecture of Blenheim Palace, and I began to talk about the architecture of heaven. And I quoted that scripture that says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It is, hasn't entered into the heart, the imagination of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. What did Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. How many think the architecture of heaven is going to beat the architecture of earth? And I started, and I, I remember thinking, Jim, get off this architecture kick. Get back to your message. Now remember that. At the end of the service, I gave an invitation for those who wanted to come and needed prayer, and I gave an invitation for anyone who needed to receive Christ. One woman stood, a very dignified-looking woman came down. I met her. I said, have you known the Lord before? She said, I've never been to church in my life. I said, are you sure you're under, you understand the decision you're making? She said, I'm not sure I understand, but I really know I need to do this. How many know you may not understand everything, but you know that you know it's the right thing to do? And she said, I said, well, I want to make sure you understand. So I'm going to ask Pastor Gabriel to talk to you and explain to you what it means to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to follow him and serve him. 
And so I left her with Pastor Gabriel. I was walking down, and there were other people there for prayer. I got down the end. Right here on the end, there was a young Chinese man, and he was wired, man. He was excited. He said, Pastor Hurst, Pastor Hurst. And he said, do you know who that woman is? I said, of course I don't know who that woman is. He said, that woman is a professor at my university, one of my professors. And he said, I have been witnessing to her for months. I've been trying to get her to come to church. She wouldn't come to church. I told her this Sunday, there's a speaker coming from America. He was here a year ago. It's only going to be this Sunday. Would you please come? She said, I will come this one time, but don't ever ask me again. And I would have missed that divine appointment. Do you know why? My secretary, when she wrote down, typed the pastor's telephone number, typed an eight instead of a zero. Do you know that close doesn't count in telephone numbers? Close counts in horseshoes, right? You just have to get closer than the other guy. Isn't that it? Close counts in hand grenades. You don't have to hit someone with it. Just get it near them, right? But a telephone number, friends, God is bigger than a secretary's mistake. If he has an appointment for you, he'll send someone to a church he'd never been at before and have his eyes. Youth out of 8,200,000 people in London, he found me in time to get me where I'm supposed to preach. How many of you believe... Our steps are ordered of the Lord. Things can go wrong. You can mess up. People can mess up. But God causes all things to work together for good. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. I think it's chapter 27. Debbie will put it up on the screen. I was preaching a few weeks ago where Paul landed right after this on the island of Malta in the Mediterranean. Now there's a storm coming, and here's what Paul says. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope. Some of you have storms in your life. Don't give up hope. Listen to what he says. He said, we gave up all hope of being saved. By the way, the we is Luke who wrote Acts. And he's saying, we gave up hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not to sailed from, from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves. How many think this damage and loss? How many think that was real popular? They're already in a mess. And he's saying, you should have listened to me. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. How could he know that? Only the ship will be destroyed. Listen to what he says. Next slide. Last night, and I will tell you something, Paul says some things in just his descriptions more than some people do in their main point. He's describing the angel. He said last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Let me tell you something, folks. You want a better life? 
hang out with people who serve God. Those people got their lives because they were with him, with Paul. And he said, he has graciously given you the lives of all who serve you, who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just. The Greek means exactly as he told me. How many believe when God says it, you can count on it? Now, I want to summarize. I want to pick out three things because in this passage, there are th three things that Paul says. I want you to notice, first of all, what he's talking about is relationship with God. He says, first, the God whose I am. I am his property, he said. Secondly, he's the God whom I serve. I'm not just his property. I'm going about his business. May I tell you, how many want God's guidance in your life? then go do his will. Because when you step out and start doing the works God has called you to do, God is going to guide you in those works. All right? The God whom I serve, and I summarize the last part by saying something similar. Similar. Number three is the God whom I trust. He said, I have faith in God. It'll be exactly as he said. That's saying, I trust him. I belong to him. I serve him. And I trust him. Now, I will share with you those three things are what I call essential keys to divine guidance. How many of you know if you're going to go through a certain door, you got to have a key that's locked, right? I did something really dumb recently. How many have, you know, these remote key lock things? I actually went to my front door, took my car remote, and was aiming at the front door. I don't know if I'm getting senile or what, but, hey, it doesn't work. You got to have the right key. You know there are keys <laughs> to God's divine guidance. And if how can I have God's guidance in my life? I'm going to turn these around and have them as directives to you. Number 1 is first, how can I walk in God's guidance? Believe in Jesus. It's an issue of faith. And may I tell you, you know there's a lot of teaching on television about faith, a lot of books about faith. And I found a lot of people are discouraged because they say, I don't have great faith. I don't have consistent faith. May I tell you, Jesus said, how much faith do you need to have a miracle? A mustard seed. It's not how great your faith is. It's not how much you have. The issue is, is it the real thing? I'll tell you why. A mustard seed of real faith has more power than a mountain of phony faith. What is phony faith? Phony faith is this the, the phony faith is the power of your positive thinking. You know why? It's not how strongly you believe something's going to happen that makes it happen. Faith is a relationship between you and God. God is the one who can make it happen. It's not the power of your faith, it's the power and faithfulness of the God whom you trust. And Paul said this to Timothy when he was in prison in Rome and he was writing in the second epistle. He said, I want you to be with me because I am mindful of the sincere faith. It was in your grandmother, it was in your mother, and I'm sure it's in you as well. May I tell you, Timothy was not a person of great faith, but he was a person of sincere faith. By the way, the Greek word is anupokrites, which, by the way, the King James Version says a very good translation of that. It's unfeigned faith. What it means is 
An, an means not. Upokrites, from which we get the word hypocritical, means pretended. What he means is, your faith is not phony. It's unhypocritical. Hello? That's what it means here. You're not faking it. Listen, don't you can't fool God. Be honest. And just say, let me give you an example. You know, when it comes to God's guidance in your life, faith is a major issue. That you have faith in Jesus who is guiding you. I can't explain why. I can tell you this in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now notice, the purpose of faith is not pleasing you. It's pleasing Him. If you're going to please Him, do the works that He has you for you to, to walk in His steps then you have to be trusting him in faith. It doesn't have to be great faith. It must be sincere faith. Let me give you an example. When uh, I came to this response, one of my responsibilities is I direct communications for world missions for the fellowship that Life Church is a part of, okay? And one of the things, and, and by the way, there's a book available in the lobby that gives more details on guidance. I will tell you right now, you don't need the book I wrote to get God's guidance, okay? It'll help you with some additional stuff. I'm giving you the most important thing this morning in all of that teaching, okay? Because God's the one that's going to guide you. And he confirms by different ways. You know, when I land at an airport at night, I'm glad there are runway lights. Hello? So the pilot come in, and you know what? If there was only one light, you could be sure he'd land at the airport, but he might end up in the terminal or the coffee shop. He needs a bunch of light. And sometimes in big decisions in your life, there are ways God confirms it in ways. All right? And so I was asked, and one of the ways God guides you is through spiritual authority. God has put people in spiritual authority in our life. Do you know that I don't make an important decision in my life without going to my pastor and asking him to pray with me about it? My pastor is a lot younger than I am. My pastor was 12 years old when his father was my assistant pastor. And now that 12-year-old kid's my pastor. And when he came to pastor Central Assembly, and I'd known him for many, many years, and I would refer to him as pastor. And I would say, you know, Pastor Peter and Pastor, he said, Randy, why do you call me pastor? He said, you know me all his life. Call me Jeff. I said, I'm sorry. I can't call you Jeff anymore because now you're my pastor. Hello, are you with me? Now, he's a lot younger than I am. But, you know, I go to him because he's my pastor. If my pastor asks me to do something, I don't say, i got to really pray and pray about it. You know what? My pastor asked me to do it. I do it. You know what? He's part of God's guidance in my life. You with me? Well, anyway, spiritual authority had asked me to do this job, which was, was 11 men on the executive committee of World Missions had all unanimously said, we want you to be communications director. But I needed a confirmation from the Lord. Well, this is just one major thing, but it was the major confirmation for me. Is the Lord wasn't giving me a word, if you know what I mean. Have you ever noticed sometimes you say, God, speak to me, and he just doesn't speak to you the way you want, when you want? Hello? Well, that's what it was like for me. And I'm saying, God, I just need a confirmation. Well, I had a problem. I had a medical problem. My father had it. My sister and brother have it. It's called migraine headaches. It's a congenital thing in my family. Every three weeks, I would have a blinding headache. It would knock me out for a day or two days. I had to be in bed, couldn't stand light, couldn't stand sound. And I never got a migraine headache when I had to preach, ever. But now I'm going to have to be in an office all week. And I said, God, 
You've spared me of those migraine headaches whenever I've had to preach. But God, what am I going to do if those hit me when I've got to be in an office? How am I going to function? And I said, you know, God, I don't deserve this. You don't owe it to me. But I have just one request. If it's your will for me to accept this responsibility, I just ask this one thing to heal these migraine headaches. I wish I could tell you I had great faith. I did not. I didn't have this great vision or surge of powerful faith. I just sincerely said, God, I know you can do this if you're willing to do this in sincere faith. That was in July of 1997. In more than 18 years, I have not had one single headache. Not a migraine headache, not a tension headache, not a sunshine headache. Now, let me tell you, is it a formula? Is it a guarantee? If you walk in God's will, you're not going to have headaches? No. I'm still diabetic. Hello? You ever notice God will do one thing and he doesn't do the other thing? Listen, God is sovereign. But I want to tell you, I in simple, sincere faith said, I believe in you, Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Number two, behave like Jesus. What do I mean by that? In Second Peter, I mean, the first Peter chapter two, I think it's verse 21. Peter says this, that because of what the Lord has done for us, that he suffered for us. It's his will, his purpose and his calling that we should walk in his steps. Now, notice we said before the steps of a righteous person are ordered to the Lord. How many of you know we're all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? If you know these two verses, say them with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Quote the next verse. Pastor did. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hello? Right after Paul says we're not saved by good works. Oh, listen, Christians love to say, hey, I'm not saved by good works, only by faith, only by grace. Yes, you're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. Right after he says you're not saved by them, he says you're saved for them. Not only that, that God has prepared those works for you, that you should walk in them. How many think it's just coincidence that Frank showed up in the back of that church at Kensington Temple and that I happened to be where I was, that I chose that church to go, hello? How many know that we were walking in the steps of the Lord? That we follow him and we're walking in the good works that he has set before us, for us. The steps of a righteous person. And that's why I say the second thing. Not only you belong, believe in Jesus, you behave like Jesus. You're to walk in his steps. Let me give you another example. An another place. You know, I will tell you, God has sent me long distances for one person. For a good work in one person's life. Now, I'm sharing a few testimonies of my own life, and some of them are kind of dramatic. Like, that's pretty dramatic, right? The guy finding me in Kensington Temple. What I want you to understand is this. You matter to God just as much as I matter to God, as pastor matters to God, as the president matters to God. 
Blaise Pascal, the brilliant French philosopher and mathematician, said this. Listen carefully. The greatest star or planet in the universe is of less importance to God than the least human being. Because no planet or star has the capacity to know their creator and worship him. Are you with me? It's not about our size, folks. God wants you to know you matter to God. The details of your life matter to God. And the other people that you are connected with matter to God as much as you do. Eunice mattered to God as much as I do. That, by the way, did I tell you what she was a professor of? Architecture. Hello. God will even have a preacher say something he didn't plan to say so that would connect. Hey, you ever have this feeling? Every, oh, it's just us family here. When pastor's saying something, you might say, who told him about me? No, no one told him about you. Hello. How many know God applies the word specifically to you? Well, anyway, I, I, I went to uh, Amsterdam to preach. It was actually the 100th anniversary of the first person in the Netherlands they know of who experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so because a book I wrote about the Holy Spirit was published in the Netherlands and was all over there, they think I'm important, you know. So they invited me to speak this. And they rented the, the Olympic Stadium. You know, the Olympics were held back there. I think it was in the 1920s. In fact, uh, Debbie, show that little clip. Why don't you see? Here's the Olympic Stadium. This is the service that I was preaching. And the reason I explain that to you, there were 25,000 there in that stadium for that event that I was preaching in a moment. I think it shows me preaching on the platform and my interpreter there. Now, what I want you to know is that's a lot of people, okay? Do you know that every person individually matters as much to God as the whole crowd does? I think it was St. Augustine that said, God loves each one of us as if there's only one of us to love. You see, because God is infinite, he can devote himself to the infinitesimal. Now, here's what I want you to know. In Amsterdam, okay, I'm preaching 25,000 people. I already mentioned to you, I'm diabetic, okay? So last night, I, at the Hampton Inn, asked them for a thing of milk, and I had four little cookies. They're little cookies, the little famous, and I don't want you to think they were big cookies, you know. Anyways, I had a few little cookies and milk before I go to bed. So because I'm diabetic, got to have something before I go to sleep. Well, the, everything was closed. The hotel restaurant was closed. Logic here. In the bar, there's a bartender and one guy. One guy, okay? I sit down at the bar, and I said to the bartender, I just like one piece of pizza. He said, I'm sorry, the oven's already turned off. I can't make any pizza. I said, well, you know, I'm diabetic. I need something to eat. I said, do you have anything? He said, well, I've got part of a loaf of bread here. And he said, I've got some gyro meat, you know, that's on that rotating thing they shave off. It's a Greek thing. He said, I could make you a sandwich out of the bread and the gyro meat. I said, that's enough. All I need is something. So he's making the sandwich. The guy next to me has gray hair, a gray handlebar mustache, and a long gray ponytail. He's got this big stein of beer right next to me. And I said, hi, my name's Randy. What's your name? My name's Peter. I said, Peter, you don't sound like you're Dutch. Nah, I'm from Australia. I said, well, I've been to Australia many times. I said, where are you from? And he told me what city he was from in Australia. And got talking to him. Now I'm going to cut, cut it short and just simply say this. I got talking to him, and I said, you know, Peter, I said, do you attend church somewhere in Amsterdam? 
And he told me he hadn't been to church in 25 years. Because, see, 25 years ago, someone hurt him in church. Do you know that the church is filled with human beings? Somebody hurt him. And so he stopped going to church. He turned his back on God. For 25 years, he had not been in church. And I said, Peter, tomorrow morning, I'm preaching at this church. It's a few blocks around the corner where five streets come together. There's that brick church. I said, have you seen that? He said, yeah, I've seen that. I said, I'm preaching there tomorrow, and I'd like to ask you if you would come to church tomorrow, even though you haven't been there in 25 years. And at first he was quiet and he looked away, and when he turned back, I saw there were tears in Peter Weaver's eyes, and he said, yes, I will. Because he said, you know, once you've been serving Jesus, you'll never be happy again if you're not serving him. And he said, listen to this, people. This morning, I woke up, and I was so longing for Jesus. I prayed, and I said, Jesus, I want to serve you again. But I don't know how. You have to help me know how I can serve you again. And he said, at 10 o'clock that night, a preacher walks into a bar. How many think that's just good luck? If it is, it's living in the luck of the Lord. I don't know if that's a good doctrine or not, but I'll tell you what. Listen, and I said, Peter, you're not here by accident. I'm not here by, how many believe that? We're not there by accident. You say, why didn't you preach to him right there? He was in no condition to hear a sermon right then, people. I said, Peter, promise me you'll come tomorrow. The next morning as I was preaching, there were 400 people out there. And I looked, and I couldn't see Peter, and I'm in my message. And then I see him coming down that side, and he sat down on the left side over there. I told him, I said, tomorrow, Peter, if you come, I said, please, wait until I can talk to you after the service. I'll be praying with some people, but please wait for me. He waited and sat there until I finished praying with all those that had come forward, and the church was almost empty. And then I went over and sat down by Peter, had the joy of taking his hand, leading him in a prayer to receive Jesus back into his life. I got his email address. He got mine. I connected him with a pastor near where he lived. I want to tell you something, people. God wants us to walk in his steps. Jesus wants us to walk in his steps to do the good works we were created in Christ Jesus to do. So number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, behave like Jesus. Number three, belong to Jesus. You say, wait a minute. Randy, I'm saved. I'm a believer. I'm not asking if Jesus is your Savior. I'm asking if he's your Lord. You see, we're saved by grace. We are not our own. We're bought with a price, but we have to choose to let him take possession of us. You see, even as believers, you see, that's not about salvation. That's about, I'll give you a, an old word, and I'll explain it, consecration. Consecration means that you set your life apart and say, my life belongs to God, and it's for his purposes. I'm his property. That's what I mean by belong to Jesus. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Oh, you know Jeremiah 29. People love that verse. 
I know the plans I have for you, for hope and for a future, not for calamity. How many know that verse? Read the next verse. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Not some of your heart, not most of your heart, with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, my wife's favorite life text. And my wife quotes this over and over again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths. The steps of a and you know what it says? The steps of a good person are ordered to the Lord and he, God, delights in his, the good person's way. God, how many think God was delighted for me to be in a bar in Amsterdam to meet Peter Weber? God was delighted for me to be in that basement room with, with Eunice so, so that she could come to know the Lord Jesus. God delights in our way. But here's the issue. I will tell you in my own life, the greatest divine interventions in my life did not happen after an all-night prayer meeting. They happened after I afresh and anew committed myself totally to his ownership. And I said, God, you remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice he didn't say a dead sacrifice. He wants your life. And he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that Greek word means live out and experience God's good and acceptable and perfect will. How many want God's will? His good, ex it begins by presenting your body. You say, God, I present myself a sacrifice. Just like in the Old Testament, they put an animal on the altar. You're putting yourself on the altar. Say, God, I am a living sacrifice for you. Let me close with just one story as an example. We went to, as missionaries to Samoa, and a Samoan doctor examined my wife, told me she probably had cancer. We had to fly back to the United States. She had a major surgery. After the surgery, the doctor said, you know, Ruth has a complication that only about 5% of people do after the surgery. You're going to have to stay in the United States for a year, and we have to perform a second surgery a year from now. Now, I had plans. I was preaching an evangelistic outreach on, in Savai'i Island in Samoa, a pastor's conference in New Zealand. But God just, like, wiped out my calendar. Here I am for a year, and we're stuck in the United States for a year. My former professor, under whom I had done my master's degree in intercultural communication, had done his Ph.D. in intercultural communication at the University of Minnesota. He was talking to his professor at University of Minnesota and telling him about my knowledge of the Samoan language and their proverbs and parables for which they're famous in the cross-cultural communication field. In fact, at the, at the hotel yesterday at the Hampton Inn, and actually after you left, the second person at the desk was a Samoan. So I got to speak Samoan to these people. And, and it freaks them out because they're not used to white people speaking Samoan, okay? The no language school, you know? And so anyway, he said, I was telling my professor about your knowledge of Samoan language and their proverbs and indirect communication and all of that. And he said, you know, they have a hard time people getting in their PhD program who have actual field experience 
And if you'd like to come study at University of Minnesota while you're here this year, he would open the doors and help make arrangements. I said, Dell, I had a hard enough time getting out of school. I don't want to go back in. I, I, he said, I, he said, but Randy, this is a wonderful opportunity to be able to study under Dr. Howell. But I just reading another book by Dr. Howell this week on communication, famous in the persuasion field. And I said, Dell, forget it. I hung up the phone. My wife, Ruth, said, what was that all about? I told her, I, I laughed. I said, you imagine me going back to school? She said, you know, a door just closed in our face. Did you ever think God was opening another one? Did you pray about this? I said, I didn't have to. She said, you know, there was one other time, Randy, in our life, we didn't know what we were doing, where we were supposed to go, and God led us to Des Moines. We just put it in God's hands, and my mind went back, and I don't have time to tell you that story, but we just put it before the Lord and said, God, it looked like God was leading us to leave where we were, and we didn't know where. And I said, we said, God, if you want someone, want us to leave Des Moines, you have someone contact us this weekend. You take the initiative. The next day, I received a phone call from a person I'd never heard of, and I don't have time to tell you the story. He did not know me. Someone else had reckoned. He thought I was in an entirely different state. And God moved us there. God changed our lives there, called us to the mission field there. God can work in the detail. Do you believe that? And Ruth said, remember, we just put it in God's hands. He said, she said, let's do it again. I said, well, we've already gotten the phone call. We'd have to ask God for something else. My wife's not only pretty, she's practical. She said, if we move to Minnesota, we're going to need money. I said, that's true. What do you think we'll need? She said, I think we'll need about $1,000. I said, okay, let's pray if God wants us to move to Minnesota, he'll send us $1,000. Ruth said, let's pray. God wants us to move to Minnesota. He'll send us $1,000 tomorrow. I said, Ruth, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what the post office is like? She said, Randy, you preached this sermon back in Fairview Heights, Illinois. You said God exists outside of time. He has heard all our prayers before we pray them. You say, Randy, where do you get that idea? Right out of God's word. Psalm 139. David said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen carefully, even before there is a word, on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. It's either God's word or it's not. You know, God's heard every prayer you pray before you were even born. Do you believe God's word? And I said, okay, let's pray. If God wants us to move to Minnesota, he'll send us $1,000 tomorrow. I will tell you, I didn't pray in great faith. I didn't even pray with any desire. I didn't want to move to Minnesota. It's cold as a mother-in-law's kiss up there. I said, okay, Lord, if you want us to move to Minnesota, you send us $1,000 tomorrow. The next day, in the mail, don't have time to tell you the whole story, there was a bulletin from Central Assembly, a telephone bill, and a card from a man and woman whose name I'd never heard of, Wilbur and Mary Timmy in Aurora, Colorado, where I had preached weeks before, they said, we picked up one of your prayer cards. Have you seen those missionary prayer cards missionaries give out? And we've been praying for you every day. And God told us today, it was dated three days before, that he wants you to do something. And to do it, you need this. And put in a check for $1,000. The only day in my life, listen, folks, this is not about prosperity. This is about guidance. The only day in my life I've ever received a $1,000 check from an individual in the mail was that day. 
You think that's good luck? You think it's coincidence? When you belong to Jesus, your steps are ordered of the Lord and he delights in your way. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.